and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about cover crops. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm right now, we'd be happy to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I'll give you a couple of things. My first couple quick comments on cover crops. First of all, cover crops have lots of benefits, and we love them. Secondly, cover crops don't fit in every single situation, and please do not think they are the silver bullet and they are the complete answer to all that ails your farm. So as long as we got those things out of the way, uh, I will just say, there are a lot of different types of cover crops, but what we're talking about today is not cash crops, it's cover crops, okay? And so let me just explain what we, uh, how we describe the difference. A cash crop is anything you will be earning money directly off of. So for example, if you put a crop out and you graze it, you bale it, you hay it, you harvest the grain, you harvest the stover, anything like that, that is a cash crop. So quite often people will ask us questions about, and they will use the term cover crop, and we go, oh, you're just going to you know, raise this and it's there to hold the soil down, uh, you know, build up the soil, that kind of thing. And they go, well, yeah, no, I'm going to graze it or whatever. Well, that's a cash crop. So now you have a different goal. Okay. The goal with the cover crop, if we're just literally talking about cover, well, think about what the word cover means. We're trying to uh, have something growing on top of the soil. So that hopefully will help reduce weeds. It'll hopefully help reduce erosion. And then we talk about some of the mini soil benefits you could get from cover crops. So that's the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about throughout the show today. But right now, Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Tell you what, Brian, we're going to have to hustle today. we got so many great questions. The first one comes from Milo. He's down in Arkansas. He said, guys, I enjoy listening to your show. You do a great job talking about all sides of the ag business, which is really important. He said, I, I know I don't have an agronomic question for you, but I'm hoping to get an answer on this. I, I work as an ag lender now, and I did work in ag retail for over eight years, learned a lot from the older generations about growing a crop, but didn't learn as much about how to run a business. And increasing demand now for farmers to hire crop consultants, but also business or bookkeeping consultants to help with daily transactions, uh, reconciling prices that are coming on inputs, third-party financing and prepay options, rebate programs, and many more things. There's so many things now to run the farming business. Just wondering what your thoughts are. Is it a good investment to hire others to do this, or is this something you feel farmers can do themselves? We absolutely feel farmers can do that themselves. But here's the the most important point. What pays you the best as the farmer? In other words, does it pay you more today to run your planter, to run your sprayer, to pull soil tests, to do the bookwork, to do your taxes? I mean, whatever it is, I, I, I don't care. You have to answer that question. But whatever pays the best, that's what you should be the expert in. 
But also you have to kind of look a little bit at, well, what do you like to do? Now, let's keep in mind, if you say, well, I like mowing the lawn and I like painting the barn and that's my favorite thing, just keep in mind those jobs don't pay very well compared to a great, talented equipment operator, for example. Uh, so, I mean, there there are certainly things that are going to pay better than others. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you also have to be happy. Now, as you say, should I pay for these things? Just some of those things that got described there, there are many agronomists out there who will do that for free when you're buying product from them. So whether you're buying fertilizer or seed or crop protection products or whatever, some of them will come out and look at your fields for free. And I mean, they'll give you great advice for free. Now, there are also uh, many agronomists who don't necessarily have the, uh, let's say, the background and the uh, skill to give you what you need on your farm, and there's somebody who you can pay in your area who's phenomenal, and you want to go that direction. So, I, I, I mean, I would just vet that out and 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 really study that before you decide you're going to spend a bunch of money. But if you want to try some things, try it. See who gives you the best advice. See who you, who it's best to work with. Whatever, that's fine. Um, in terms of the accounting side, that's that's usually not that bad, but. You know, for all these things, we have done a lot of this stuff ourselves on our farm. I, I, I still do my own taxes uh, and, and some business taxes and stuff, too. Why do I do that? It, I mean, sure, I could hire somebody to do it for less money than, than what I could do by doing other jobs. But the reason why I do it is because of all of our different business interests, it's important for me to learn the tax laws. Because once I learn that, then I know better how to manage my overall business. And that's what pays the best there. So there can be different reasons, like I'm saying, to do a job and now it gives you more skill in other areas or it gives you a a different insight in how to run your business. So yeah, we've always been big believers on you got to put in the hours. I mean, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of hours as a farmer. But when you do that, you have so much more knowledge and hopefully then in the end, you're able to make more profit on your farm. All right. Sorry, I know you said quick, but it's hard for me to be quick. Go. All right. Another <laughs> one here. Renee uh, said, I've got a dryland field of alfalfa and wheatgrass. We have foxtail barley now. And the foxtail barley heads out so early, it's difficult to hay the alfalfa and wheat in an optimum time. Is there anything we can spray without killing the alfalfa or the wheat? Not that I know of. Foxtail barley is kind of tough. Uh, if you were to run a high rate of clethodim in alfalfa, that would at least get it suppressed. If you were to run a burn down in front of an annual crop with a high rate of Roundup, that would kill it. Uh, so you have options, but when you have a broadleaf crop, alfalfa, and a grass crop, wheatgrass, together in the same field, I don't know of anything you can use out there that won't kill the one crop or the other and still control that foxtail barley. Sorry. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, but it wasn't too long ago, just a couple weeks ago. We were outside at the Ag PhD Field Day. One of the guys that we were really happy to have there was Dan Lipkiss, who farms in Illinois. And I was speaking with Dan uh, in one of the breakout tents, and we talked just a little bit about some of the things with cover crops. And I thought Dan might have a little to add for this audience today as well. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, hi. Glad to be here. Okay, so you do you do things just a little bit different on your farm, and you're getting some pretty exceptional results, uh, even compared to some of the other farms around you. And one of the things that we had talked about just a little bit is cover crops. Uh, I know that's not like this silver bullet or anything like that, but can you talk about how cover crops have been helpful for you? Well, yeah, I've been doing it for oh quite some time, and I've kind of come up with my kind of my own recipe that seems to work and northern illinois you know a lot of people would say well you know it's too late you're harvesting in october and you know it's pretty hard to get any kind of establishment and and if if you do use something usually rise the choice and 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 i agree with that rye works the best here i've tried some of the other things late like that you know some of the i don't know clovers and different grasses and none of them none of them get started uh well enough but i've kind of what I've come up with is using a, a rye and oat combination. Um, the oats kind of sequester uh, the end that's left in the soil, if, if there is any. They're usually they're, oats are really good for uh, retaining nutrients for the next year's crop, and then the rye uh, kind of for erosion and uh, um, you know organic matter because that that's something you got to terminate in the spring as more of a a mass. So uh, my that's where I've settled in is a oat and rye mix, and actually at lower rates than what people would probably normally say is uh, is what I found is sufficient. 
You know, I, I love that you do experimentation and you're always trying different things out there. That's something I really respect about how you're doing things on your farm. So you, you tried all things. You had all the failures. Uh, the low seeding rate seems to make a little sense to me, too, because why would we need to stick a whole bunch of money in here? I think we can accomplish those goals at a lower rate, too. So uh, are you significantly lower or are you just a little bit lower? Oh, I would say I would probably be what you would call pretty low. So I'm uh, right now about a quarter bushel of rye and maybe a half bushel of oats. That's a mixture. Okay. Now for me, the oats are going to die out in the winter. Uh, we'll get they're pretty they're pretty cold hardy. They'll last into December and they'll help you get you know some biomass. Uh, so what you're left with is just a quarter bushel of rye, but both of those crops tend to stool if they're on the thin side and and you know one of the biggest reasons for dropping uh the rates down one is cost i mean that gets down to where your cost isn't very darn much for the seed uh the other thing is rye is she can be a bugger in the spring sometimes trying to terminate you know so um if you've got it if you got your rates cut down like that it's a little easier to terminate a little easier to get the equipment through again yet it still accomplishes pretty much the same thing. You're still getting the organic matter. Uh, you're still getting the roots down deep in the soil. Uh, you're getting that biological activity fired up in the spring because, you know, you've got something growing out there. It's pretty much doing all the same things, but it just makes the cost a little less. It makes terminating a little easier. That's great advice. Uh, Dan, just one last question for you. I see our crop is ahead. We're we're probably a couple weeks ahead of normal. What what would you say with your crop? Where where does it stand right now? Is it is it ahead of schedule uh, or right on right on pace? A, a little ahead. We uh, we were definitely ahead, uh, probably until about pollination, and then we kind of went, which is a wrong time to go, kind of cool and lack of sun. You know, that's about when you know also and all that when I was out your show all that <laughs> yes when all the smoke truck, was rolling through you know. Yeah, and and here it was just, they actually, our forecast was for, like, you know, the, the week of pollination was in the 80s and sunny and, and everything. I thought, boy, that's going to be just right. And then it just didn't happen. It just was pretty hazy and cloudy. And I don't know if that smoke had a little something to do with it or not. But uh, so, end result, your question is, uh, we're, we're probably just a little ahead of normal, but that kind of slowed us. So I think we're... Um, maybe at best a week ahead of normal, I guess. Sure, sure. Well, we'll see how it plays out here this next month. Uh, we're talking with Dan Lipkiss over in Illinois. Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the advice, and, and thanks for uh, sharing a little about your recipe. That's pretty good. That's pretty cool. Yeah, talk to you guys later. Thank you. We'll see you. We've got Chris down in Iowa on right now. Chris, what would you think of that? Are you, you changing up rates a little bit on some of these cover crops, or have you found your mix yet? Uh, I mean, we, we still play with it a little bit. Um, we're, we're doing more, uh, spreading into standing beans, um, on some of our covers now. And we're thinking about cutting it back just a little, just because it's getting more time to grow and, you know, rise kind of aggressive. So we're, we're, uh, we're going to cut back a little this year, drop to maybe like, uh, like 40 pounds instead of, a a bushel on our uh, broadcast stuff, which isn't a huge difference, but I mean, it, it'll help a little for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you always got to make some adjustments out there. Now, Dan was talking about just stand establishment and he said, well, rye works the best for that. Is that what you found too? Have you had trouble with some of the other things you've tried? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, especially if you're gonna seed it after harvest, or even even with some of the stuff uh, we're putting into standing beans, like if it's not a rye or a wheat, like it's not really gonna have that push to get through for the most part for us. Interesting. Okay, another question we get a lot is fertilizer and fertility. When are you putting fertility out? Are you doing anything into this cover crop once you get the beans off, or are you just kind of leaving the cover out to to be a cover? Um, well, I mean, we uh, we typically will still knife in hydrus and stuff like that, and we've never had it be a problem. Um, the only issues we've run into is if uh, we have a cover is if we do our anhydrous uh, in the spring, uh, you're turning enough dirt over some of that cover that you're going to have some termination problems and some escapes. But, I mean, if we uh, if we do it in the fall by springtime, you can't even tell where the knife tracks any are anymore. So, Sure, sure, yeah. We, we actually see some guys knife some things into, especially manure, knife into even pasture and standing grass. And, yeah, if they're doing it at the right time of year and – right soil conditions but you can hardly tell after a while what they've been doing okay so when you're talking about uh going into the soybeans with rye when are you terminating the rye are you letting it are you letting it get big in the spring or are you doing something earlier um well ahead of corn we try not to let it get real big right like if it starts getting close to knee high uh even if we've got time we're going to terminate it um like you know weather obviously uh can be a problem this this spring was a little bit of a struggle because we were pretty cool um but we got enough uh a warmth in early april that uh we got it done but that's that's kind of the struggle so i mean usually the first week of april we april uh we we try to terminate it ahead of corn no matter what and uh beans i mean it's mainly just we try not to let it head out Kind of deal. So. Sure. Now we get a lot of questions from folks who are interested in the topic and say, okay, I've never planted into something that's green before like that. Uh, do you have any tips for first timers that may be considering doing it this fall here? And then next spring, they'll be going into something standing in green. Uh, you want a good no-till setup uh, is the, it works really good. Like even if you're, you typically do some tillage and stuff, if you got a good no-till drill or or planner it's generally going to do a good job you know uh we don't run trash whippers uh on our corn planter we just run like a wave coulter and uh, we really like that i know some people uh don't as much sometimes uh if you have like a more more aggressive whipper it'll more kind of push it out of the way some people like that more um it just kind of depends on what you like there are some different options there but we just run a wave coulter ahead of corn and we have a air seeder for beans that's just with a no-till setup and we ha knock on wood don't have problems with it awesome we're talking with chris down in iowa about cover crops today chris thank you so much really appreciate you sharing a little bit about what you're doing on your farm yeah no problem happy to be here listening to ag phd radio and maybe you've got your own strategy that you're doing for cover crops on your farm we'd love to hear from you and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD We'll be right back. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. 
New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio Talk and Cover Crop on today's show, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we're going to dive into some of the emails that have come in, radio at agphd.com, if you want to send in a soil test or a picture or, or your question. Let's head out to Indiana. We've got Roger with us right now. Roger, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, kind of baking a little bit here with heat index well over 100, but hey, it's August. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it goes. Okay, so you got your big field day. First of all, I, I just want to preface this. You're going to hear a little from Roger about what's going on with cover crop, but he's got a field day uh, near Greensburg, Indiana, coming up next week. Uh, what are you going to see at your field day, Roger? Well, we'll start inside. Uh Jim Horman's coming over. He used to be Ohio State Extension. Then he was NRCS, a regional soil health guy. Now he's on his own. But 
He's done a lot of work with the mycorrhizae and kind of on past some other little bugs under the ground. So he's going to talk a lot about those and micronutrients and some of the importance of all that stuff in our soil health. Now we're going to talk a little bit about grazing. And then the afternoon we'll go out in the field and we'll dig a hole and we'll look at what we talk about. Yeah, I like digging in the field and just seeing what's going on, seeing what's happening below ground. And, and we're talking cover crops on today's show. Have you noticed a difference when you're putting cover crop out there with just what's happening with soil health and all the microbes in the soil, earthworms and such? Oh, yeah, they have. I started probably 25, 30 years ago. I didn't know I was doing cover crops, but I was dabbling for some uh Erosion control. And now I'm up to the last 15 years when I rent a farm, I get them on, and I've started to notice that within five years, it goes from walking out there on the soil. Uh, I got a bad habit. I like to go out there barefooted and feel the soil. Uh, you're walking on concrete. All of a sudden, five, six years in, you're walking on a carpet. And by 10 years, you're walking on a carpet with a nice thick pad under it. It just, that soil loosens up and just turns that way. And you know when you're on something like that, that has to be healthier. Your roots can grow better. And I've also noticed it on crop yield. So that's the biggie right there. It puts money in my pocket. Well, that's what it's about, and that's that's why we do this show. We're just looking for ways for, for farmers, including our own farm, to, to do better, to make more money with what we've got out there because they aren't making any more land last I checked, so we got to do the best we can with the land we've got. Uh, if you're following me on Twitter, I at Darren Hefty, I just tweeted out a little information about Roger's Field Day. I tweeted out your brochure that you sent, Roger, and – uh, so people okay. can see it because they're listening to us today wondering, okay, where's this at? What am I going to see? Uh, you can find all the details there on Twitter. Uh, so, Roger, with the with the cover crop, uh, for, for growers who are just getting going in your Eric's, I'm sure there's some guys that have been doing it like you have for a long time and others that are just getting started. Uh, if you had one takeaway for this fall, what would you say to, to encourage guys to get it started and do some trial work? Uh. I guess that's, uh, you know, the best time would have been last year or 10 years ago. But, hey, the second best time is this fall. Get a few acres out at least, enough to see what it's going to do for you. More's better, but you really need to start into this and see what it does. The other thing we need to do this, it's going to help all of us keep the government out of our hair a little bit on these nutrients because of how they hold nutrients in the soil and they keep the soil on the farm. So otherwise, we're going to be like some of these areas, Chesapeake Bay and some of those areas where they're telling the farmers how to farm. And I don't know about you, but I think I know more than the government does on how I should run my farm. Uh, and I think that's why it's a selfish reason. I want everybody to do this so they stay off my back and let me do what I want to do. Uh, <laughs> that's, I guess. <laughs> 
I agree. I, I like uh, I like doing the best job we can do on our own farm. Uh, the other thing uh, Brian, Brian said to mention, uh, to attend Rogers Field Day on August 18th near Greensburg, Indiana, go to ccsin.org and look under the soil health events. Roger, good luck on your field day. I know you got the heat index today, but I'm hoping you get a really nice day uh, coming up next week. Yeah. Oh, we've had all kinds. We make it work. It's like farming, Will. <laughs> you just go to plan B, plan C, plan D, whatever it takes. But uh, we'll make it work, and I thank you guys for promoting it. I've already had reservations from Ohio to Iowa. So, you know, anybody's welcome. Just be nice if you could let us know you're coming so we make sure we have enough food. Uh, a friend of mine's cooking up, I think, pork chops. We'll have a good meal. And uh, come in and hopefully learn some things. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much, Roger. We really appreciate having you on and, and wish you the best. Let's head over to, uh, we got Josh with us right now, right kind of on the Iowa-Minnesota border, I believe. Josh, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing pretty good. It's about, uh, oh, I guess it cooled down. It's 83 out, but with the heat index, we're pushing that 100-degree temperature also. But uh, we got a nice wind out today. Yeah, the breeze is always welcome this time of year for a lot of reasons. Keep the bugs off, but also uh, to handle some of this heat and humidity. So I understand you do some cover crops in your area. And, you know, I'd say this for those of you who are listening who aren't kind of right in that Iowa, Minnesota area. Uh, there there are some cover crops, but I'd say a majority of guys aren't doing it yet. What have you seen, Josh, in your farm and why do you like it? Uh, well, I you know, I started... Um, I. Almost immediately after I started farming about 10 years ago, I started putting rye out, and then I've kind of evolved into a couple different blends, uh, mostly using uh, cereal rye as the base, uh, including some oats, triticale, uh, rapeseed, turnips, radishes, you know, you kind of experiment. But what um, one of the things I like about our area is that the soil is awfully variable. Um, I got one farm that is right next to the Iowa River, and there's a vein of sand that runs through the majority of the center. And then I've got two other farms that are as flat and black as anything else in northern Iowa. And uh, I kind of have used cover crops for different reasons on all three of those farms. Um, but what, the one thing that I've noticed is over time, it, it's kind of weatherproof the farms a little bit so they can withstand some of the temperature extremes and this year you know we had frost at the end of may um and now we haven't had rain for weeks and just 10 miles over they're in a d3 severe drought and the corn's all yellow wow. but driving past my field right now it's green we've got a 230 bushel potential right there and uh it's sand so we've been able to use it 60 pounds of rye and five pounds of rapeseed little bit of oats um i've brought up the organic matter on that farm about a percent um wow. in five years That's awesome. i'm also using hog manure every other year with you know rotating corn and beans but you know it's it when we took that farm over we had to put four tons of lime per acre on because the previous tenant had ran it down so bad and um you know just trying to it's a rented farm but we treat it as our own and that's kind of our philosophy and all of our acres is to you know, it's your money, so you might as well treat it like it's something that 
you want to take care of. Well, and it doesn't and, sound um, like it's super expensive either what you're doing, Josh. It's not like you're investing hundreds of dollars here with, with what you're doing with covers and, you know, certainly the manure, you need the, the fertility. It seems to be a good way to get it. No, and it's, it's preserving it, you know, and it's keeping things readily available. We're not locking it up deep in the soil colloids or something, you know. So manure, the hog manure, you know, it doesn't last for a long time. It does help build organic matter over time, but it doesn't stick around. But you partner that with the cover crops, and all of a sudden you've got a recipe to wake that soil biology up. Outstanding. And, uh, you know, and here you're, talking you start- about, here you're talking about rented ground, Josh, that had gotten run down a little bit. And you can make big changes in just a few years. Hey, Josh, we're up against a break here. Really appreciate you calling in, though, today. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weave Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weave control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Again, uh, had a couple questions come in over the break. Uh, where do we find information for Rogers Field Day in Indiana, where we can see some of the stuff in the field? Uh, I just tweeted it out. You can find it on Twitter, Darren Hefty. All right, our next guest has been on the show a number of times, and often he's talking about cover crops. It's Mike Starkey. He's over in Indiana. Mike, thanks for joining us. Glad to be on again, Darren. All right, you've been doing this practice for a long time, and we were chatting with Dan Lipkis over in Illinois, and he said, always tweaking things a little bit, but he's finally found something where he thinks is working for him. He's going with some lower seeding rates in his blend, and he said it's made the termination in the spring a little bit easier for him. I know that that everybody's got their own way of doing things that works with their equipment and their farming practices. Uh, what have you been working on with that? Have you made some changes, or have you been in your uh, in your good mix here for quite a while? Darren, I'm always making a change every year. Uh, if you don't make a change, you're not going to improve your your farming techniques, in my opinion, and then you learn from your mistakes. But uh, Actually, I, I've cut back on the grass side of, of things on my mix, uh, but I increased uh, more on the hairy vetch side. I, I'm really into the hairy vetch. Now, the issue in the spring is that um, I want everything to be actively growing uh, before I terminate, and you have to be patiently waiting for that. So with that being said, I plant everything green and wait as long as possible uh, with with the termination side of things. So termination um, comes down to having patience, in my opinion. Ooh, that's tough. That's that's a tough word in farming is patience. <laughs> we, we just want to go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, farmers are impatient people, you know, and that's just the way it is when you get into cover crops. So, uh, but I'll tell you what, Darren, what I really noticed in the last couple of years is that our tiles uh, are, are just not handling the water issues that we've had in the past. I remember growing up, you know, with farm my dad, you know, a, an inch rain was a big rain. But now we have these extreme weather events, you know, these three to four inch rains. Added to that is the no-till environment where our soils are acting like a sponge. And instead of the, the ponding on the fields, uh, the surface water running off, it's absorbing these rain events and our tiles have to be really uh, up to date. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the tiles that we have that our good old forefathers put in are just worn out and can't handle that. So in a no-till cover cross environment, you have to have that drainage fixed before you get into it because I, I, that's, that's the issue I'm battling now because uh, the soil structure is awesome. The air and water movement, where the water is being absorbed in the soil, but these tiles, I mean, my gosh, these these old clay tiles that we've had are just not handling. You know, we've, we've talked about that a little bit too, Mike, about Brian's made this comment, I know, a number of times that, hey, if you're going to get into reduced till, that's awesome. But having your drainage upgraded is is going to be critical. I know we came through 2018 and 2019, and we were getting, 
uh, I don't know, almost double the normal rainfall. So yeah, we figured out we we just couldn't handle some of these big events exactly. that are coming through, like you say, it, timely, because that's yeah. really all that tile is. It just lets the water out slowly over time. And right. I, I don't know that you're right. You're kind of hitting something right on the head here. That is one of those problems. Now we're, we're in a dry situation this year. So nobody here is talking about need oh, to get I rid know. of water more, but just a couple of years ago, we sure were. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, our weather events are all or not. We, we, and now you're talking dry. We, we have been super dry since July 18th. We have a couple of tents. As a matter of fact, the weatherman the other night said, uh, this is the second driest since 1901 uh, that we've been since mid-July until now. So, you know, these weather extremes, we really have to manage. Now, and it's great in a no-till and cover crop environment, you know, where we have that water in the soil. Our roots are going down to get those. But again, these extreme rain events, you know, uh, we, we, we got to get the, the, you know, those tiles working. And uh, unfortunately, that's what I've been doing. It seems like the last six years is, is replacing the, the, the old tiles with pattern tiling. It's yeah. expensive too, of course. Yeah, it's but not, it's not do, cheap. Do. Not cheap. <laughs> no. And it takes time to do. And I know that's another thing too, that gets frustrating is it just takes time to get all that stuff done. But I love, I love the approach here, Mike, because, you know, we come on talking about cover crops and yep, it's one part of the whole operation. And then as we build up our soils and as we build up organic matter, and as we get the soil structure fixed and, and improved and just optimum out in our fields. Yep. Now we're on to the next battle in this case it could be oh, yeah. uh, we got to make sure our drainage is up to snuff but you know some of these things are just long-term fixes that we get to benefit from from such a long time too that that man it's sure it's sure worth doing and mike we really appreciate having exactly. you on appreciate that you're always tweaking things too well, i know i know we are too but uh it, it's fun so cutting back on grass adding a little more vetch and looking into the yeah. drainage situation big tips today Exactly. And I fly everything on uh, Darren. So that's reading, you know, I, I'm into the uh, cutting back on, on the, the grass side and increasing on the vetch because of the biomass that provides. So, um, interesting. you know, that's, that's just part of And everybody's different. So, um, you know, it, it, it makes farming fun and, and it's part of it. So, absolutely. Well, hey, good talking with you, Darren. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll you'll get some rain and hopefully I'll get some rain sooner than later. Absolutely. If we get it, we'll try and share it with you too, Mike. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it today. Take care. Yeah. One of the things that he was talking about quite a bit was the drainage deal and uh, Darren mentioned it, but when you're going to go into no-till or reduced till, you really want to take care of that drainage problem because if you had a minor drainage problem before, you're going to save more moisture and you're going to have a massive drainage problem once you get into no-till, strip-till, or any kind of reduced till. So take care of that drainage first. Okay, so with the cover crops, I just had a few comments for you here. First thing is always consider first, what's your goal? What are you really after? On our agphd.com website under the resources tab, you can look at cover crops and just some of the potential uh, benefits you could get out of cover crops include having more mycorrhizal fungi or basically better soil life with, with beneficial soil microbes. Uh, conserve water, or maybe use up water, reduce erosion, reduce compaction, increase soil organic matter, increase future nutrient availability, uh, salinity, 
tolerance and basically just to get something growing where you've got a lot of salinity or maybe it's higher sodium levels. Uh, weed suppression, increasing soil nitrogen levels. And then, like we were saying earlier, we don't really view grazing potential as a cover crop. Then all of a sudden that becomes a cash crop. But still, I mean, these are just some of the things that you will want to consider. What's your number one goal? Because then that's going to impact, all right, which species do I want to have out there for a cover crop? So cereal rye gets mentioned an awful lot, probably the most, and it's really good, but it doesn't fit every single need that you could possibly have. So that's one of the reasons we talk about having diverse species. The other big thing, and probably the number one thing that I want you to consider if you are in a drier area is when do you need to terminate that crop? For example, I get super worried in our dry country out here in South Dakota, if we let a cover crop grow into the spring, it could kill our yield the next year. We do not want to use up any possible moisture that that next crop could take. So I would like to terminate that cover crop. Let's call it the 1st of October. For me, then I should be in pretty good shape. Uh, we're not using any more moisture late in the in the fall, not using any early in the spring. We're saving some for that next crop. So if, on the other hand, you are in a climate where you always get way more than enough rain, maybe you let it grow into the spring. But then you also have to consider, all right, if you're going to let it grow into the spring, if it's getting big, should you be terminating it? Otherwise, you might not get a good stand out of your next crop. So lots of things to think about there. Uh, last thing that I'll throw out is, are, how are you going to kill it <laughs> the next year? Discover crop. So if anything goes to seed, um, how will you control that? So just consider all these things and more with cover crops. We encourage you to try things. Just whenever you try stuff, try it on a small scale first, prove it out on your farm, then go from there. Stay tuned, we'll get to more of your questions next. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. In celebration of the Ag PhD Field Day, Farm Shop MFG is giving 10% off end zone fan controls and grain temp guard products. Sale ends midnight August 4th. To get your discount, visit FarmShopMFG.com and use the coupon code AGPHD2021. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. 
Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are firmly in the Ag PhD mailbag time now, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Tyler did in northern Minnesota. He said, we've got some heavy gumbo ground, very high in magnesium, and unfortunately also in salinity. I've got a couple fields that I soil sample that I'm sending to you, one sample is an example of what we see in uh, in a field that has shorter crop uh, shorter in height and also yield versus another field that yields better and looks better but it doesn't seem to be that much different to us we notice a couple things on the soil test but maybe something stands out to you we also took a compaction tester out in both fields and surprise surprise both were heavily compacted up to about 18 inches now, we have been talking about putting some lime out there to try and raise our calcium base saturation. And we know that we need to put more potassium out there to raise that base saturation percentage as well. But prices are pretty crazy right now. Just wondering what you think about that and uh, and what else you think we might try. Yeah, so Darren, did anything stand out to you? Because when I look at it, I, I don't... Well, the, there's more salt in the one than the other. There's more the sodium. Sodas. There's more sodium. So you look at parts per million, and it's uh, uh, significantly higher, 60% yeah, higher. Yeah, but that's where the good crop the is. This, yeah, Unless you've got these backwards. So well, I don't field, know. You field just wrote... 23 was the okay, bad one, here, and 15 on. was the better one. Yep. Yeah. So the one that has more sodium is actually, actually is better. better. Okay. Yep. Well, it's one percent base saturation, so it's not like it's terrible, especially when you've got a right. That yeah. Heavy. Well, that's me, not terrible. In fact, that's ideal. Okay. For a lot of crops, so is one percent. I look at it like this, Brian, and there's there's some ground that that our grandparents had, and they didn't put a lot of money into it. Then my dad farmed it. He didn't put a lot of money into it, and they all kind of said, "Ah, you don't want to don't want to get too crazy spending money on that ground." But it, when we did the soil testing, it was about the same for magnesium, wasn't it? It wasn't maybe quite as heavy a ground, but it was, it was pretty heavy ground. And a lot of times we had 40 or even 50% magnesium out there, and our calcium percentage was super low. So we increased that calcium percentage significantly, but it took us six years. We put on a lot of lime out there, and we actually overdid it. And 
over time, we were able to, to turn that around to some degree. Now, it's still not the greatest ground in the world because it's floodable and it's low ground, but it's much, much better than it used to be. Um, it's a little better than it used to be. So the, the thing is, and, and one of the big things we've learned, you know, yes, you could throw lime out there, but you already have a high pH soil. So if it's me, I don't know that I'm going to do lime. I just, I don't, I mean, if you're going to do lime, then you got to do elemental sulfur, which is expensive. So honestly, if it was me, I'd, I'd put gypsum out there. So then you get calcium and sulfur. But, you know, when I see sulfur levels that are that high, and I don't know what they are because they don't give us a reading. They just say 120 pounds plus. And then I see some of the, what we would consider leachable nutrients high, like nitrate, and boron along with the sulfur, you go, hmm, do we just have a drainage issue here? Is really drainage the number one problem in that area and with heavy soil? I would guess it is. Now, I also believe your your cation exchange capacity is is way overstated because it's like 50. I seriously doubt that you actually have 50 cation exchange capacity. But whenever your magnesium levels are that ridiculously high, like 35%, 43%, it's going to be overstated. So here's the other thing. This is one test, and we're saying that's representative of whole field. I'd love to see one-acre grids, or you know, if you don't want to spend the money on that, at least five-acre grids, and see what we, what we really have in each of the spots. So if this is truly representative of the entire field and every soil test looked exactly like this, yeah, I don't know why the good field is better than the other field. But to your point, you need calcium, and your magnesium is really high. So, I, I mean, over time, when you have high sulfur like you do, with good drainage, some of the magnesium will flush out with the sulfur. It'll bind. It'll form Epsom salts. But you got to raise the calcium or raise the potassium as well. And yes, I know it's expensive right now. But when you're down in the ones, 1.7, 1.8% potassium, that tells me right away we should get a good return on investment on that. Now, if you want, if let's say it was rented ground or something, what would I do? I, I might do a little bit of gypsum, but I definitely ban my nutrients. I'd ban my P, I'd ban my K um, if I was raising row crops. Uh, so we raise like 30-inch corn, 30-inch beans, for example, so then we can ban in, in the rented ground that is like this where can I fix it? You bet. But the first thing that I'm going to do, first money I'm going to spend is on tile. Whether it's the good ground, the not good ground, whatever, it just appears to me that we need some drainage help out there. But then beyond that, yes, you need some potassium. And here's the other thing. I mentioned this in the show a couple of days ago. You have to look for opportunities. So, for example, last fall, potassium was at a 15-year low. When it's that, then those are the years you want to load up. Like in our farm, we did load up last fall. So it'll happen again. And so in the meantime, you get on a little bit of a build program, but when you see it, end up really cheap some year, you go, you know what, this is the year. We're going to pour the coals to it, and then we're going to be in good shape for quite a while. Because I can promise you this, in heavy soil like you have, and as far north as you are when the grounds froze half the year, uh, you're never losing that potassium. So if you put a bunch out there, get the base saturation K up, get your parts per million up, uh, then you're going to be in good shape for the long term, and all you basically have to do is maintenance after that. But you got a lot of organic matter. you got a high cation exchange capacity. I mean, it's pretty good soil, but I just I believe you've got some drainage problem. And, you know, beyond that, what else would I be looking at? Well, the other thing is phosphorus. Your phosphorus levels are really low, 11 to 17 parts per million. And on the one I get a charge out of this, their interpretation of 17 parts per million was high. 
<laughs> like, well, I don't know what kind of a crop you're going for, but without knowing your yield goal, even without that, I, I'm going to say there's no possible chance that's high. That's actually very low. So that's one of the things that I would be continuing to work on, P and K. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, Tyler. Got this one uh, from Jordan. He's down in the middle part of Georgia. He said, I've got a field of double crop straight Roundup Ready soybeans planted in seven and a half inch rows and conventional till. I used a full rate of Prowl H2O pre-emerge. I came back 25 days after planting with a full labeled rate of Warrant, Reflex, and Roundup PowerMax. When I applied that post-emerge, I had some Palmer out there two to six inches tall. Three weeks have passed, and now 30 or 40% of the pigweed that I thought were dead have come back. What would you guys recommend in this situation? My beans are probably two to three weeks away from flowering. Okay. Uh, you're, you're running out of options fast. So since you've already used Reflex, and I mean, we would typically advise Flexstar because it's got a safener for soybeans, so it's not quite as hard on the soybeans. He did say soybeans, right? Yep, conventional uh, soybeans, yep. or Roundup Ready Round soybeans. soybeans. Yep, yep. Uh, so, I, I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm probably going Cobra. So you've got Cobra, you've got Cadet, and beyond that, there's not much. Yep, you can put Cobra out with another shot of Roundup. Yeah. Now, here's here's the other thing that I would suggest to you next time. So you use Prowl down, and that's great. But you also need Metribuzin, and on top of that, you need Valor or Authority at a high rate. So if you would have gotten the Metribuzin and the Valor or Authority at the high rate, you would have spent about $10 more, maybe 12 at the most. Uh, so you would have spent a little bit more money, but let's call it one bushel of beans. You would have helped your weed control long-term just tremendously. Because both Metribuzin and the PPO, either Valor or Authority, are really, really good on Palmer pigweed. So that's the big thing that I would change next time in your program. And then hopefully you don't have to come with Cobra late in the season. But yeah, at this point, that's that, that would be my recommendation. Probably full rate of Cobra, 12 and a half ounces. Oh, and by the way, a lot of people worry about the leaf burn with Cobra. If you use it with a little bit of Solubore, like a pound and a quarter of solubore, that generally helps, especially when your soil is already low on boron. So we found that uh, we see less leaf burn when solubore is added to that tank with the Cobra. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, you know, getting later in the season here, but still getting a few questions on fertility. This one comes from Marty in North Carolina. He said, 28% nitrogen blended with 1% or 2% sulfur coming from the elemental form. Would you rather see sulfur from the sulfate form as it as it's more plant available? And also, do you think you could go as high as 5% sulfur in a combination with 28% that you're going to spray foliar? Ooh, I didn't know how we were spraying this, but if you're going to spray it foliar, sure, you can throw more sulfur out there, but you just have to put it with more water. Uh, you know, water safens it. So you got to have lots of water, probably two to one uh, water to fertilizer to really safen it. But yes, I agree. I would probably pick the sulfate uh, instead of sol elemental sulfur, but you can certainly do both if you want. Thanks for the question, Marty. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.